The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is A to Z Healing Toolbox, Tips and Tools for Navigating Grief and Trauma. I am your host, Susan Hannafin McNabb, social worker, educator, and author of the five-time award-winning guidebook, A to Z Healing Toolbox, a practical guide for navigating grief and trauma with intention. Together on this podcast, we will discover 26 powerful action-based tools and resources that will counter the negative effects of grief and trauma while assisting us in increased healing of the mind, body, and spirit. In each podcast episode, we will hear from inspirational guest experts in the fields of traumatic loss and bereavement, medical practitioners, mental health therapists, best-selling authors, spiritual leaders, nonprofit founders, and everyday individuals who are learning to live in the light despite profound darkness. Thank you for joining me. A to Z tips and tools are yours to integrate on your personal road to healing. Healing Tool N, Nutrition. Let food be thy medicine, and medicine be thy food, by Hippocrates. Welcome everyone to the A to Z Healing Toolbox podcast, where we talk about tips and tools for navigating grief and trauma. Today we are focusing on Healing Tool N, which is nutrition, and we will be having my wonderful friend Lizzie Merritt come on with us. She is a confident body coach and works with people on cravings, falling off the wagon, self-sabotage, and self-compassion, especially while grieving. But before we bring Lizzie on, I just want to talk a little bit about food in relation to grief and how for many, many people I work with, food and our relationship to it becomes a hot mess when we have a profound loss. In my own story, for the first year after Brent died, I didn't even remember I needed to eat. I was in shock and nauseous most of the time. So food was the very last thing on my mind. Even so, the random casseroles would come in from a local church 
and a local mother's group started a meal chain and my parents fed us on the weekends. I didn't have any weight to lose and I lost 10 pounds. During my second year of healing, my appetite came back somewhat, but I could no way muster up the energy to make meals for my son and I. I was too exhausted trying to survive. Cooking had been Brent's thing, not mine. So when people asked, hey, Susan, how can we help you? I simply said, restaurant gift cards. And I signed up for an in-home meal delivery service. I really ate because I knew I was supposed to and I needed to know my child was getting fed, but my taste buds had pretty much gone dormant. In the third year of my healing, I began eating tons of carbs and sugars, anything that was easy, crackers, cookies, cereal, bagels, candy chips, pretzels, pizza, mac and cheese, burgers, fries. I didn't have to cook much and I didn't have to spend much money, but I began feeling even more tired and lethargic and started to gain weight. Finally, later on, I enlisted the help of a nutritionist friend and I've slowly over the last five years started to make small changes toward eating for health rather than just eating mindlessly. So now I log what I eat in a very simple food journal and I don't judge what I eat. I just write down so I know I'm getting some of what I should be getting. I do drink a lot of water all day long. I make things as easy as possible, like buying pre-washed lettuce for salads or making meals in advance and putting them in the freezer. I even had a friend bring me a Christmas present one year and it was a huge cooler. When I opened the cooler, it was tons of meals that she had made and vacuum packed them so I could store them in my freezer for the next month's fabulous gift. We can always ask a nutritionist to give us some simple tips and tricks and ideas for managing our emotional eating while we are grieving. And today we have an expert in Lizzie Merritt. Lizzie is a Martha Beck Wayfinder life coach and professional weight loss coach. She is most interested in helping us realize and recognize how miraculous we are and helping us see how our bodies are a marvelous vehicle for life. Lizzie is here today to talk to us about managing our emotional cravings self-compassion during grief, and she's got tons of tips and tools for us in relation to food during our time of emotional stress. Thank you for being here, Lizzie. Susan, it is my absolute pleasure. It is such a gift. I'm so excited to be here. Of course, I, I have to share how we met. Of course, yeah. I love this story. And, <laughs> and sometimes I do this on the podcast. It's like, well, how did you meet this person? Because there are so many interesting people that come on the podcast. And the short version of me being Lizzie, what, and it was probably, what, not six months ago? I mean, it was summer of 2021. Yeah. So not right. that long ago, but we're fast friends already. I attended a retreat in San Diego held by Todd Durkin Enterprises. So Lizzie was one of the facilitators at the retreat and, um, but she's also a coach and she's really good. And so during that weekend, she stepped in at numerous times to kind of coach me. And one of these times was not even like a coachable time. It was just, we had a gentleman there who wanted to play the guitar and he asked before the retreat, does anyone have a guitar who lives in San Diego? I said, yes, I have two. He didn't know they were Brent's guitars and Brent mm -hmm. um, 
you know, had these guitars for years and they hadn't been touched for nine years. They were in my closet. So I busted out a guitar and I gave it to this gentleman who I didn't know. Um, the last day of their treat, Don decides to play this song for us. And it was so crazy hearing him play Brent's guitar and the actual song he chose to play was one none of us had heard. And it was called, What Are They Doing in Heaven? And right. he had no idea that the story of Brent who was actually in heaven. And so of course I'm bawling and out of nowhere, Lizzie comes up from behind me and just sits next to me and holds my hand. I was like, oh, she's my person. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, well, and we had spoken prior to the retreat because, you know, just uh, as a facilitator, I was getting to know the attendees and you had shared with me kind of privately that I believe was the first day of the retreat was the anniversary of Brent's passing. Yes, nine right? years. Yeah. Yes. And so I was like, oh, this is, th there is stuff working behind this, you know, like in the mystical behind the scenes, the spiritual stuff going on here. And so like, I had this really deep in my heart of like, this is the, I don't know what's going on. Susan's here for a reason. This is special. And I think Don had been sitting next to you. So when he stood up to go play the guitar in the front of the room, you're, the seat next to you was empty. Yes. And he starts playing that song. And I, my heart is just bursting. I was like, I cannot just sit here and let her be alone. Somebody passes in a box of tissues. like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was a moment. It was a moment in the retreat nine years after Brent died. And, um, and you know, this is what I love. Like, people in life show up when they're supposed to show up. And you showed up in my life, and we've been chatting for the last six months or so. And, um, and you know, I, 25 years, it feels like. That's right. I know. I feel like I've known you forever. Yeah. So today I brought Lizzie on because Lizzie is an expert in many things. But one of the things is nutrition, weight loss. And I know that people who are grieving and traumatized are not at all interested in weight loss. However, nutrition is a huge component that plays or doesn't play a part in the life of someone who's grieving. And I know the countless hundreds and hundreds of widowed people and bereaved parents I've worked with cannot get a handle on food. Um, we're, we're eating our pain away or we are not eating at all because we just can't. And so I brought Lizzie on so that she could chat with us a little bit about tips and tools for handling the nutrition piece while we're grieving. So Lizzie, my first question to you would be, in the words of my friend Robin, she sat down with her Ben and Jerry's and gained 40 pounds after her husband died because that was the thing that comforted her. To all the people out there who are grieving the loss of someone, brother, sister, friend, mother, uncle, spouse, and are just eating the emotions away, what can you say to them? Well, first, I'd love to clarify something just a little, which is the letter N stands for nutrition in the A to Z toolbox, which is excellent. I am not an expert at nutrition. I am an expert at helping those people who know all the things they should do or to stay healthy, but don't do them. And so I would imagine that's where many of the listeners to this podcast might find themselves. Like, I know I should be eating carrots. I know I shouldn't be having Ben and Jerry's, but that's just not helping me right now. You know, telling you calorie counts and all that, that, that doesn't help when there's something much bigger and deeper going on other than calories in, calories out, because there's so much more under the surface. It's just like that iceberg and like the Titanic is heading towards it. And someone says, hey, just watch out for those icebergs on the top and you'll be fine. What would I say to somebody who has sat down with their Ben and Jerry's and it's 40 pounds later? 
Number one, I guess I would say, I see you. I hear you. It's not your fault. You are okay. There's nothing wrong with you. You're grieving and it's understandable. What's happening in your brain is uh, anytime a there's a difficult emotion, like obviously grief, but even something as simple as boredom, your brain is a very useful, very useful tool. And it says, I want to feel better um, because difficult feelings feel bad. And so let's solve this. And food is a very quick solution, particularly foods high in sugar, salt, and fat, because they trigger the release of dopamine in the brain. And so it is a quick solve for the difficult feeling. However, there's, there's physical hunger and there's emotional hunger. Physical hunger is of course your body needs fuel. And so if you're physically hungry, an apple will satisfy you. If you're emotionally hungry, which is still is just as a legit hunger as physical, but it's a different kind of hunger. And the root cause is in your emotions, it's in your feeling body, not in your physical body. And so by using food to solve the, the emotional hunger, you are covering over the root, the, you're addressing the symptom and you're leaving the root cause to, to stay and fester. We would need to get into the emotional stuff. Now, speaking of emotional stuff and weight loss and nutrition, how did you come to be in this place in your life? How, did you wake up one day and decide, I'm going to get into this line of work <laughs> and then I'm going to be on a podcast with Susan and talk about how to help people who are grieving, you know, get control over, over food or like what happened in your life that brought you here right. to this place? So thank you for asking. I was, um, I was an athlete in school and so I exercised away any unwanted pounds. And then after college, you know, I had a desk job and then got married and had two kids and was much more sedentary and hadn't really totally learned how to eat healthy. And suddenly it was like, how do I do this? I remember sitting at my kitchen table. I mean, I was, I was reading my like nice diet book and I was exercising twice a day and I just stopped and was like, this is crazy. If diet and exercise are not helping me feel good in my body, then there's got to be something more to it. And so that was kind of the beginning of my investigation of to what is underneath that, you know, kind of all that diet advice of sure diet and exercise. That's, that's just skimming the surface, all that stuff underneath of like, how do I feel comfortable in my own skin, those emotions, the thoughts. And, um, and so I began to really research uh, for myself and then begin to share it uh, as a coach with others of how do you feel happy in your body? Because you know, you can, and I have lost weight and gotten to that magical number on the scale and still not been happy with my body. And that began to tell me it's not the number on the scale. It's something in between my ears. And so that's the short story of how I got here. No, I appreciate that story. And I'm thinking, you know, you said it's, how do I feel good in my body? And I think for many people, even before grief, before profound loss, maybe we're not comfortable in our body before that. Mm -hmm. And then this profound loss comes into our life and we're certainly not okay with anything after that. So mm -hmm. eating, uh, body image, all of that just kind of goes in the toilet yeah. for many people. And so I'm wondering in your coaching, it seems like it would be similar. You know, what, what do you coach people to do to get a handle on what's between their ears, right? Okay. Yeah. How can I not eat the Ben and Jerry's, you know, and gain 10, 20, 40, 50, however many pounds, how, how do I get a handle on the emotions? At any point, if you're looking for like, what is some like surface tactical things I can go do? 
tomorrow or this afternoon, we can totally go there. But in terms of how do I get a handle on the emotions, the emotional hunger, the root cause of it is in those emotions. And so you've got to stop and slow down and look at them. And that can be scary, particularly when that's all you're doing is swimming in them. Tactics I would suggest is number one, kind of allow yourself the gift to feel it. If you, if you don't let them kind of pass through you, they get stuck and they, they kind of begin to fester. And so there's, there's kind of two analogies that I've, I've used to try and like, how do I feel my emotions? Cause they're just so big. They're so terrifying. I cannot handle them. I cannot survive allowing them in. I just need to keep going because if I stop and feel, I will break into a million pieces. Yeah. You might break into a million pieces for a minute or 10 or a day. Number one, if you're a person of faith, obviously do this in a moment when you have some time, when you're safe, you feel like you don't have to take care of the kids in the moment, like give yourself a a quiet moment. Um, But if you're a person of faith, uh, the thing can be to stop and surrender and say, this is too big for me. I'm going to try and feel it and, and let me be safe in this moment of you letting me feel it. I've been told by a, a client of mine that this, this next tactic helps kind of in com- combination with the faith piece was another way to think about surrendering and allowing the feeling to come through is I think about if you're treading water and the feeling is the water and you're trying to keep your head above water, it gets exhausting. And so if you allow yourself to just let go, slip underneath the surface of the water and breathe in. And you can find that you can breathe into the water. You can breathe underwater. And this client of mine, as I was describing it, she said, I like combining that with the faith piece because it, by having that, that faith piece there, I feel safe to feel it. But also that breathing underwater piece allows me to actually feel it and not kind of just skip over it. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I love how you're talking about tactics because, or tactics and tools, right? Like what are some things we can do that are practical? And um, in the A to Z healing toolbox, there are practical steps people can take for suggestions, right? Of single small steps to integrate a certain tool into their life. As far as nutrition or eating healthy goes, one of the tools that I talk about in the book is jotting down what you're eating or you're not eating, right? And some people would call that a food journal. Can you speak to that? Does that help people who are either overeating or undereating? And I was doing both. I mean, for the first year I was under eating, I was totally nauseous, so I, nothing would go down. And then I flipped to overeating and just eating all the wrong things. So I guess the question is about the food journal. Is that a common, powerful, worthy tactic at all? Yeah, uh, a food journal can be immensely helpful because it is helping you uh, gain awareness around what you are or are not putting in your body. And it's very easy to not be aware, to mindlessly eat. Um, and so there's lots of different ways to journal. And a lot of times we get tripped up with the method, 
So there are many, many apps out there that, that, you know, you can put your food into and it counts the calories and it can all, you know, whatever it does with the macros and so forth. And, and some people that works great because you can see the numbers. If you're an analytical kind of person, that's a great way to go. However, that can become a hurdle for some folks because maybe you can't find the food you're looking for. It becomes tedious. Um, you forget and so forth. Um, so if you're like, yeah, I've tried those apps. I just, I can't do them. That's okay. There are plenty of other ways to be aware of your food that don't require calorie counting or a, an app. So a simple way could be just grab a piece of paper, a notebook and a pen and write it down. Similar objections can apply. It's tedious. I forget those kinds of things. So you can do the same thing, but maybe keep a note on your phone and because your phone is probably with you more often than your notebook. And so you can just, you know, I ate this, this, and this. And then you don't have to figure out how, what the portion size is. You can be like, I ate a chicken breast, you know, or some, a donut. If even that is a little bit too much, take a picture. You can have a photo log. And so if it's going to go in your mouth, no judgment, take a picture of it. If it's a package of M&Ms, no big deal, picture it. And so that's a very simple, fast way to keep an idea of what you're eating. I have an advanced, semi-advanced tactic to use. We could go there. Well, let's go there because, you know, I'm just thinking about my story personally, and then I'm recalling so many stories from bereaved parents or widowed people who are constantly talking, you know, I'm just eating constantly. Uh, I'm gaining weight. Food becomes all over the map. Um, so I'd love to hear all tactics because I'm nine yeah. years out, right? But I'm, and I have a major sweet tooth. I don't have a bunch of weight to lose, but there's still room for improvement all the time. So I would love to hear that tactic. We, I would call this the kind of doable food method, which is um, at the beginning of the day, or maybe even the night before. So let's take a little bit of planning, plan out, all right, what do I want to eat tomorrow? Or what do I want to eat today? So this is, you're mapping out the rest of the day. And what's useful about this is you're using your prefrontal cortex, your decision-making part of your brain, rather than your subconscious mind, which is very reactive, very emotional in the moment. By using your proactive decision-making brain to decide what am I going to eat today, that helps you make good choices for your future self. But the trick to this plan is make sure it is food you want to eat. So if you know that at 4.30 every day, the you know, box of Oreos is calling your name, put that on your plan. The idea for this plan is not to give yourself another diet to follow. The idea is not to restrict yourself in any way. The sole purpose of this plan is helping you, A, make a plan. So make decisions proactively versus reactively in the moment. And B, learn how to trust yourself again. And so by saying, I know I'm going to want cookies at four o'clock in the afternoon. So I'm going to put that on my plan. If by chance four o'clock happens and I don't want the cookies, I don't have to have them, but I am doing my future self a favor by making a plan and allowing, giving myself the grace to know that this is what I'm going to want in the moment. And I'm going to show up for myself. Now, let's say you didn't put cookies on your plan or it's, it's nine 30 at night, it's 11 o'clock at night, whatever it is. And there's, you have a craving for ice cream. No problem. You get to have the ice cream tomorrow because it's not in your plan for today. And that's all right. No big deal. Put, put the plan, put the, uh, the food item, the ice cream on your plan for tomorrow. So you are acknowledging to your, your kind of emotional self. I see you. I hear you. I want to help you scratch that itch. And we're going to do it with our proactive planning brain. 
and we're going to, you know, so tomorrow at 11 o'clock at night, I'm going to have that ice cream and show up tomorrow. If you want it, great, have it. If you don't, interesting experiment. So again, the purpose of that is helping you to plan with your decision-making brain, not making decisions in a reactive state to, you know, reacting to your emotions and you're learning how to trust yourself again. I love that idea, retraining the brain. And you also touched on grace and self-compassion in your talking as well. So, you know, as you're, as you're talking, I'm thinking about this, the many times I've spoken with people who are trying to give themselves grace. They're trying to be self-compassionate. As a matter of fact, yesterday I spoke with a woman who's in her 40s who was the caregiver for her young husband for two years, um, gained lots of weight because her life was on autopilot. It was just, okay, she's got to work full time. She's taking care of her husband at home. He dies. Where is she now? So she's overweight. And over time, she's learning to be self-compassionate and to say, she said this to me that she looked in the mirror and said, okay, this isn't where I want to be, but this is where I am now and I can take steps to get where I want to go. She doesn't have that number. She doesn't know what that is, but just the fact that she was allowing herself some self-compassion within the nutrition, eating, grief world, I thought was huge. So can you speak to grace and self-compassion when people are having a an experience that is just beyond their control and how that affects their food intake or or their yeah. their non intake that is one of the most important factors to, i mean to anything but you know in weight loss in particular is that self compassion piece we're so used to berating ourselves around weight loss i have no self control i have no willpower i can't believe i did that again and that comes with shame and guilt and what those feelings do that, that shame and that berating yourself, it comes with an internal pharmacy of, of stress hormones, of cortisol. And literally cortisol holds onto fat in the body. And so we, when we do that, and again, like that's all we've been taught to, is to shame ourselves and to, and, but you can't hate yourself thinner. You can't, you know, ha- hate the weight away. You can love it away. And that sounds so cheesy and corny, but like lean in because when you give yourself self-compassion, when you say, I'm not where I want to be, and I can take two steps today, I can take a half a step today, I can do something for myself today and give myself a pat on the back, even though it's not perfect because there is no such thing. It, the more you can lean into, I'm doing what I can, that shifts that balance of cortisol away from cortisol towards more positive feelings like dopamine and serotonin that releases that pressure and it allows your body to get out of that fight or flight state and be like, okay, we are safe. I don't have to hold on to this weight as protection. I can let it go. I am now in a safe state. And so that self-compassion is so crucial to allow your brain to get out of fight or flight and to get into basically a place where your subconscious mind feels safe enough. So Lizzie, what are some specific safe foods for people who, you know, if Ben and Jerry's is on one end, you know, like quarts and quarts or pints and pints of that every day. Mm -hmm. And then on the other end are some healthier choices that still may satiate, satiate, 
<laughs> the the mind and the body. Um, what are some of those specific foods that may still fill us up, but in a healthier way? When you're eating a pint of ice cream every night, to say, you know, have an apple isn't going to help. So what I would suggest to that to a person who's having a pint of ice cream every night is give yourself the grace of teeny tiny steps. So start where you're at. All right, I'm having a pint of ice cream every night. What if instead of having the whole pint, what if I put it in a bowl? And so I leave a little bit in the, in the pint and I put it back in the freezer and I have my ice cream in a bowl. And so every night you're still having your ice cream. It's just a little bit less. I would, I would say, here's a rule to live by. Never make a change that you can't see yourself living with five years from now. So like, if you said never have ice cream again, you're like, what that, I don't know if I can live with that for the next five years. And so that's why diets are devastating sometimes. Cause you're like the 30 day, blah, 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 extreme. And then you tell yourself, well, after 30 days, I can go back to the way I was eating. And that's not what it works. So any change you choose to make, make sure you feel like you can live with it for a long time. Like if you're like, I'm going to go exercise. Great. Great. Take a baby step, walk around the block. Feel like you could walk around the block four days a week for the rest of your life. If yes, go for it. Do you feel like you could run five miles every day for the rest of your life? If no, dial it back a little. So that's step one is start where you're at, take a baby step. Um, again, kind of going back to the science of the brain is when you make massive changes all at once, like a diet, your subconscious mind views change as a threat because back in evolutionary times, you know, change in the environment was like, where's the tiger? And so a change in your environment sets your brain into fight or flight and you know, income self-sabotaging behavior from your subconscious mind. Cause it's like, I don't want to change. Let's keep things normal because normal is what kept me alive yesterday. So when you make little changes, you don't trigger that fight or flight. You kind of sneak past the amygdala in your brain and say, Hey, everything's cool. We're just making this teeny tiny change. You don't need to freak out. It's going to be okay. And then to your actual question, what's something a little healthier? You know, there's all kinds of ideas. Like if we're talking ice cream, you could go from Ben and Jerry's to Halo Top. So it's still ice cream. It's just, uh, you know, a little healthier. Um, and I mean, that's just one that comes to mind. If you're um, looking for, all right, I want a little bit less sugar. You could try one thing that I like that fills me up is cottage cheese with protein powder. And so it tastes sweet, but it's nice. It's got some protein in it. It's not very high in fat and it fills me up. Um, there are some days when that just doesn't cut it. And I just really like a bunch of chocolate and peanut butter. Another idea I would suggest is, is a mindset shift. Um, again, kind of going back to that self-compassion is a lot of times when we try to change our behaviors, we berate ourselves when it doesn't work. And I would say, let's let go of some of that intense pressure and just think of everything you try like a scientist. So let's say you're going to try and go from a pint of ice cream to, you know, a protein bar after dinner. And this is an experiment, like a scientist. And they're like, all right, I got a hypothesis. I'm going to run my data. And when the hypothesis comes back, if it's proven true, great. If it's proven not true, also great. Because now I have more information to tweak my experiment and try it again. So everything you try, whether it works for you or it doesn't work for you, is a positive result because it's giving you more data, which is neutral, towards what is the system that works for you. So that the more you can kind of just kind of treat it lightly, it's like, huh, how interesting. And, and tweak from there, the less pressure you put on yourself. I love the less pressure aspect of what you're talking about, because people who are grieving, 
have so much pressure already mm-hmm. from, I'll just take my experience of, oh, hello, I was in a two-parent family with a child, and now I'm a solo parent with a child doing the job of two parents. So that pressure, Brent was the barbecuer, he was the food guy, I wasn't. So now I've got that added. I still am not the food girl. I'd much rather do the dishes, Lizzie. So if you want to ever cook, I will gladly do them. But I think that, you know, taking the pressure off is so key. Having self-compassion is so key. Having grace for ourselves is so key. And then also you mentioned just tiny steps. And I know those those are full, you know, the the A to Z book is full of single small steps. I call them. And for nutrition, you know, just some things that I did, and you can chime in on these, but I actually got a three ring binder and I put it in the kitchen, which is right downstairs from my office. And I got a pen and it didn't matter what I was eating or drinking, I would just write it down. And it gave me an overview. I wasn't judging it. It just gave me an overview of what I was putting in my body because I was so consumed with everything else I had to do, I wasn't paying attention. So it was just a single small step of just writing things down with no judgment attached. That's so key. The no judgment attached. It's hard. Yeah. You know, and the whole, the whole um, premise behind self-compassion is, is how would you treat a friend? And so when you look at what you wrote down of what you ate and you, if you were sitting across the table having coffee with a friend who had just lost a loved one and they said, this is what I ate yesterday. Would you judge them for what they ate? You'd be like, honey, you ate something. That's excellent. You're taking care of yourself in any way you can, you know? Yes. Yeah. I actually had a friend say that exact thing to me. We were on a hike. This was probably last year. So eight years after Brent died and I was bemoaning whatever was happening with my body. And she stopped on the hiking trail and said, Susan, do you hear what you're saying to yourself? And I said, what? She said, you have been raising a child by yourself for the last nine years. Your husband died. You're doing all this work, reaching a hand back, helping other people. Give yourself a break. If you've gained five pounds out of all that, yay for you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I just went, can I just like package you up, put you in my pocket (laughs) and have you tell me that all day long? But you're right that it's it's sometimes other people give cut us more of a break than we cut well, ourselves. And it's interesting too, like the idea of like, can you just package up your friend and have her in your pocket? In a way, we have to be that cheerleader to ourselves because again, we're so conditioned to not give ourselves credit and be like, I'm not doing enough. Like, sure, I got my kid fed and out the door and dressed. And um, you know, I did a full day of work and I has you know put out the fires, but I was a little bit late to school pickup today. So I'm a terrible person. Again, like the, the, the brain feeds on positive emotions and negative emotions, whatever you feed it, it'll make more of. And the default setting of our brains is to find what's wrong in the environment. Again, going kind of back to those caveman days, the cavemen that survived were the ones that were hyper aware of like, what's, what's about to go wrong. And so like we've, our, our brains have almost evolved for a little bit of a pessimistic point of view. So if the default setting is what's wrong, if you're going to think a positive thought, you got to do it on purpose. It's a little bit like lifting weights for your muscles. If you want to get stronger, you got to pick up something heavy. If you want your thoughts to feel better, you've got to lift them on purpose. You've got to work at it. You've got to practice them. 
because they're not going to happen by themselves. And so being that friend that you want to put in your pocket, like, yep, put her in your pocket and put her in your ear. And if you want to say like, this is my, you know, Jane voice, whatever your friend's name was, but we have to do that for ourselves um, in order to, again, like bring up those feelings of dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin to allow our primitive brain to feel safe enough. So much of it is about intentionality, right? We have to intentionally do things to form those positive neural pathways again. And and there's so many negative ones anyway, and then you add a profound loss and it goes crazy, right? With Mm -hmm. negativity. Um, But on the flip side of negativity, if people want to get in touch with you, Lizzie, how can they do Mm -hmm. that? And I know that Lizzie intentionally created this super cool it's like a mini little workbook for all of us. So can you talk a little mm-hmm. bit about that and how people can access you and that wonderful offering that you've created for us? Absolutely. So my website is confidentbody.coach. And yes, I did create a specific resource for your audience called How to Stop Eating Your Feelings. And if you'd like to go find it, you can find it at bit.ly. So it's bit.ly slash A to Z weight loss. So that's capital A, the number two, capital Z, and then weight loss, all one word. And so you can put in your email address, get that workbook. And it's just kind of practical steps. A lot of what we talked about today, but also some thoughtful questions to help you work through um, how to stop eating your feelings. And um, if you want to get in touch with me, you can always email me at lizzie at confidentbody.com. Or if you, there's information in that Uh, workbook, how to stop eating your feelings. There's lots of ways. That's one thing I so appreciate about you, Lizzie, that you, you make people feel seen and heard and appreciated. And you've done that for me. So I appreciate you for doing that. Thank you. Well, leaning into the cheesy, which cheesiness is my superpower. I feel like um, we all have a little bit of divine light inside of us, whether you call it God, the universe, whatever it is, the divine is is within each of us. And it's so hard to see it ourselves. And so I love being able to shine that mirror back to you and be like, look at you. You are so magnificent. Don't you just see it? And, and the world needs more of your special unit. That's awesome. I love that. Well, thank you for being you and supporting people like me and all the others you support. Thank you for creating this podcast and this opportunity and all the people that you were helping with your work as well. A to Z Healing Toolbox offers professional trainings, live and virtual workshops, podcast interviews, healing guidebooks, speaking engagements at conferences nationwide, small group virtual support, and solo sessions individually tailored to meet your unique needs. Books can be found on the A to Z Healing Toolbox website on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, and your local bookstore. If you would like to connect with Susan and join a small group for virtual support or schedule a solo session, please contact Susan at a2zhealingtoolbox.com.
I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.